0: Hello, 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 and a special It's the Holidays welcome to Witch Hassle. I am your host, Meriwether Claus, and I am so happy that I get to bring you my conversation at long last with Sarah Lyons about her new book, How to Study Magic. We recorded this a while back, back around Halloween, in fact. But I've been sort of doing interviews and then, you know, having them kind of in a queue. It's, I, you know, it, it makes a person feel safe to know you got what's coming next uh, despite the delay. But I'm so happy that I can finally bring it to you. But because it was recorded a bit ago, I want to take a moment to set the stage to put you in the picture. It's a cold autumn night. In New York City. Which borough? Doesn't matter. And you're me. Pretend you're me for a minute. You've just gotten off a shift at a clinic that can make things a bit chaotic. You've gotten off the subway train. You've gone to a bodega. You've grabbed uh, a high-power disinfectant to spray the soles of your shoes, because it's one of those days at the clinic when you might have stepped in blood and you've also bought coffee. And you climb up three flights of stairs, and there you are in your friend's apartment. She's laying a candle on the kitchen table. You put down your field recorder, because it's your first in-person interview since January, 2020. And it's time, in the light of a candle, in the cozy serenity of a kitchen that belongs to someone you know. And with coffee that is going to really start to have a notable effect on your speech patterns and physical movements at around the hour 15 minute mark. So people in the Patreon really get to hear me who again we're putting you in the picture as, as me so you also you people who listen to the patreon are going to get to hear both of us you and me uh get very jittery with the coffee uh, around the hour 15 minute mark look for it it's fun um you sit down and you start to talk about the invisible world about the vibes that turn into reality that's the scenario you're about to walk into And I don't think there's any more introduction that needs to be had. It was a joy for me to talk with Sarah about this book. I hope it is a joy for you to listen. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey on listener supported witch hassle. Here's Sarah Lyons with how to study magic. So congrats on the book. Love the book. I want to ask, because this is about beginnings, this is about how to do it, and we can talk about how to do it. But before we get to how to do it, there's something that you address in this book that I really like, because I think there are a lot of people who either don't think about it or they're afraid to ask the question. And you actually ask the question very early in the book and you provide an answer, which is why even do any of this? Right. And I am curious why even do any of this? Because it's cool. Because it's cool? Okay. (laughs) For the lols, of course. Yeah, I mean,
1: I I do think that that answer depends, that that's going to differ person to person. And it's even going to depend, like, circumstance to circumstance. I feel like I first got into magic when I was young. Because I felt very, like, powerless. And so I, like, legitimately got into magic in part for, like, power. (laughs) Like, I was like, I would love to be able to, like, make people listen to me. And I would love to, like, make things happen that I can't make happen otherwise. Because I'm, like, a child in a chaotic, like, world. And then I think, like, as I got more into it, my spirituality around it deepened. And I think now I'm at the point in my life where I do still do magic to make things happen. And to make, like material changes in my life but there's also i think the to me the spiritual component of like connecting with something larger than myself and having like an active like i usually say to me magic is about having an active spirituality where you're actively involved in like a two-way conversation with the, the cosmos around you or what have you but i think like depending on what reasons you have to get involved in magic you're path and what you're going to want to look into is going to be very different, right? Because someone who's in a bind and needs magic to, like, make their life work better isn't maybe going to be as helped, like, in a very quick timeline, by the way, like, maybe isn't going to be as helped by, like, Thelema as somebody who, you know, as maybe, like, root work or witchcraft or something like that, right? And vice versa, like, if you're, you know, trying to get, I think that they're, Basically, I think that it's, it's a question that people asking that question throughout one's practice, especially at the beginning, is, I think, the, like, opening door. And not a lot of people do it. Like like you say, like, it's, it's, it's a clarifying thing to come back to because it helps you as a practitioner and as a researcher and stuff, like, decide, do I really need to learn the Enochian keys or not? Like, it, it feels like I have to because this is what all the cool kids are doing, but, like, Is that actually going to be... Is is that what my spirituality needs? And it might be or might not be, you know? So that's my long answer
0: to that question. (laughs) That was a great answer. Perfect timing. uh, Or perfect length. Actually, speaking of the cool kids... There's something else you say in here in the very beginning that I was going to maybe wait to get to, but now we've, I feel like we've... Let's just, dive in. You've activated my trap card, Sarah. And, <laughs> and my trap card, you say that like something that like when you first, you describe, you know, and I think a uh, narrative that I think is probably very relatable for a lot of people. You know, like discovering the idea of the witch as like a thing that exists in the world and mm-hmm. not as just like a thing that's in books or made for, you know, a make-believe for the children and thinking I want to be that... And when you look back on that time, I think you say, I'm going to not get the phrasing perfectly correct, but the idea of like something that you could have really used back then instead of, you know, a book or um, I'm assuming this is the early 2000s, late 1990s. So I'm going to say, or um, a GeoCities website is a friend to bounce back ideas Yeah, Yeah. and like, what what would a friend have really done in that? Looking back to childhood, (laughs) what would I have done if I had friends? (laughs) Special kind of because I feel like a lot of people, you know, like who do this, either they don't have a lot of friends and they're very lonely, and that's you know, this is a way out of that potentially, or you know, it's like I don't, for my own part, right when I started doing this stuff, I had a, a fair number of friends who were like my college friends. I had a bunch of friends who were my poetry buddies. From the poetry scene here in New York City, go and did not want those to overlap. Was very worried about that overlap. Mm. but like if I bring this out in front of any of these people, they're going to think I'm a kook.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm. I I think that for me, it's yeah. I I think I wanted, and for a long time, in my magical career, like I really wanted like a teacher or a guide. Like I wanted to get this information. I think one, just like simplicity, because it's part of the reason why I wrote this book is kind of to save people time because Mm. I feel like I look at the early part of my magical life and not that I regret this. Like I do, I think looking back also, there's like, you know, I had to go through that to learn all these other things, whatever. But I look back at, you know, the first couple of years that I got like into this stuff, quote unquote, and it was Wicca and it was GeoCity sites. And it was a lot of like, you know, the, the, Wick has gotten better at this but I think especially back in the day there was it was like every single thing in the world was synchronized under the god goddess mm.
2: thing yeah, yeah. and
1: it was you know everything was burning times and there was just a lot of like ahistorical historical stuff going on and like, people just li- literally making stuff up in books and you had to like kind of go through that and then realize that that wasn't all true and then you had to go back and say okay but then what parts of these were true like and and parse through so many different things to figure it out and I think that just from the gate having someone to go like oh no that's not true this is this happened saves you so many books and so many websites and so much time researching that stuff and I think that's one area where I think having a friend or having like a colleague or a teacher or something like that can really help people. I I also think, you know, having someone to bounce I, like I had friends that were kind of learning things at the same pace as I was because I think like it's a very common thing, especially at that time for like young girls to kind of like get interested in Wicca and get interested in magic and that kind of thing. But it was I was definitely way more into it than other people were. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, like, I, they grew out of it, I didn't, and, like, you know, I- It's not just a phase, mom! It's not, it was not just a phase, and I think, you know, we were all learning stuff at the same time, and that can also lead to, you know, like, slumber parties where someone's making up a bunch of stuff that they've done, and, you know, like, literally, like, lying and faking about this kind of stuff, which is just, again, like, teenage stuff, it's fine. Would people lie?
0: About the
1: occult? You, you know... In America? You hate to see it. God. You hate to see it, folks.
0: Kids just, you know, they they stop respecting their elders and stop respecting the truth after they stop playing the game that I played as a kid where you hit a hoop with a stick and it goes down the street. (laughs) But I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Oh, no. Uh,
1: But that's basically it. I I kind of, in some ways, wrote the book to be sort of a companion to people so that it's like, as... As you are reading and as you're studying with other books, you can use this as a reference point to be like, what did Sarah have to say about this? Or like, is that true? And just have me in your pocket going like, it's not. Or, yeah, it is. <laughs> and, you know, and that's that's basically what I want it to be for people.
0: That's Because, inter- like, I feel like so much of, like, when people do that idea of, like, this isn't a historical reconstruction. It's what's true, damn it. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's it's coming from a place, maybe I'm projecting, of, like, did just believe it real hard. And if you believe something, you don't entertain the idea that your beliefs are coming out of history, mm-hmm. or that the history is coming out of history. That history is an active process. Yeah. And so, like, how does it? How did it feel, kind of putting this together and being like, okay, I have to. All assumptions are out of the. I'm I'm being a a cold objective person about all these things when I also have like. Skin in this game, you know, mm-hmm. like because you do have your own practice. You do have your own positionality. Like, how did like. How did you sort of like balance being an objective guide for the children or the adults who are also children because that's how psychology works and being yourself and being like, well, yeah, this thing looks like bullshit to me because I know what I know.
1: Right. I mean, I think what I try to do is step back and say that like this is what like, like, Okay, I guess I'm just going to keep talking about Wicca because that's, I think, a place where this is very like. I've seen it the most, but I think with something like that, it's knowing the history of how that came to be, I think is only helpful because on the one hand you, you avoid like racism or, you know, appropriation or kind of like nastier things that I think you see sometimes where people go, Oh no, 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 it's okay. Like white people invented this and it's like, no, they didn't. You know, like there's, there's a kind of, for one reason you can, you can avoid some of that. I think on the other hand, too, I think knowing a historical context and knowing where your ideas are coming from then allows you to consciously step back from that if you need to in a ritual context, right? So if you need to just get in a mindset in your ritual of like, you know, this is an ancient, unbroken spell that I'm doing, or this is like I am embodying this idea or this belief or this archetype, whatever... If you need to get into that mindset, I think that that's kind of where the poetry of magic comes in mm. and you can bring it full circle, right? You can say, "All right, well I know that this I know that this comes from here, but within this like circle, within this like ritual space, I'm n- I'm just going to leave that at the door or I'm going to do what I need to do to get into that headspace." But it allows you to it allows you to do that actively as opposed to like being passively led astray by other people who might have ill motives or might just be wrong or like whatever and I, and I think that that is what I really wanted to do also with this book is just pre- present information to people and say like now it's up to you if you want to do something with this or not right like I think Alistair Crowley is another figure that people have very strong opinions about and what I try to do is just like lay out a small biography and lay out parts of his practice and parts of his ideas. And I think once you do that, it's like, okay, this is what he did. This is who he was. It's up to you now if you want to engage with his ideas or not, right? As opposed to saying, like, never, never even read anything by him or saying, like, you have to read everything that he ever wrote to do magic. Like, neither of those are true. But I think it's important to present people, like, why he's even talked about so that people can decide whether they want to like, engage with those ideas and to, like, to what degree.
0: Okay. Yeah. You're the impartial person who's making magic less sacred for a moment so we can actually look at it.
1: Yeah. I, the, the other thing that I've been using to kind of like the phrase I've been using to promote the book is like demystifying the mystical, mm. which maybe people don't like and 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 don't want done. But I don't actually think that it's... I don't think it's demystifying to, to talk about where ideas and stuff come from. Because I think especially, like, the more you get into magic, the more you're like, okay, but ideas themselves are magic. <laughs> These, you know, it doesn't have to mean that it's fake because it was invented 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago, right? It's that's still real, especially if it works for you. Right.
0: Like, this idea that, like, things are shrouded... In the midst of time, like, doesn't really do us a, a great deal of help when it comes to trying to think about, like, the genealogies of these things, right? Like, even if this says it's from nowhere, it's from 1900, which means that it must be drawn from these things or yeah. something like that. Before we move completely far afield from the question of friends, how did things change for you when you found magical friends who were, like, more into this than the high school buddies who are kind of like, I'm a I'm mall goth and I'm doing that actively to like the people are like, I, it's very serious. I'm spending a weekend in the woods talking to, I've tried to think of the name of a demon and all that came up was Gigamath, which I think is just, a thing my brain is making up. So maybe that's a real, Gigamath, if you're a real demon, please do call into the show.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think that for me, it's it's a it's been a real gift to be in New York City during this time where there's been this real occult revival. Because again, it's like, I think that it, if nothing else, having people to share experiences with and talk about this stuff with is just a real gift. Like you, it, it is not so lonely, and you don't feel like crazy. You know, to to have that, it it like and this word is so goddamn overused, but it like normalizes a little bit of like the magical experience with which is I think important, and I I think that it's something that I think in all realms, but definitely in the magical realm, like, people should, I think, strive to to have community. It always kind of bums me out that there is so much drama in, like, the broader occult scene, it seems to be, because I'm like, guys, we're all the weirdos. Like, everyone thinks that we're all really weird. We should have some sort of weirdo solidarity a little bit. But then a lot of the tensions are very, like, understandable, and so it's, like, it's this complicated thing, and I... I just feel very grateful to like have the community that I do. And I think that like, if my book helps to foster communities of people, like by, by opening this door more and letting more people in, hopefully like more community can be created out of that. Mm. Like I really do. That's like one of the, I think I say this in the book, like I'm really excited for more like young people, more people of color, more queer people, like, et cetera to like, find out about grimoire magic and like ceremonial magic from this book, because it's like, my God, like, you know, it'd be so cool to see how that like revitalizes those practices or like adds to those practices. It's like time for it, I think. So I think that there's only, I, I look at, I try to look at this in a very positive way of, you know, we, we don't, we, we only benefit from making this more inclusive. To people, you know.
0: Yeah, do you think gatekeeping is still a big problem in the occult? Because I mean, it's easy to sort of look back at like I don't know, uh, Yates and Crowley, crap, Crow Crowley, and I always say it wrong. I know I'm saying it wrong because I'm saying it the uh, the the Black Sabbath way. Yeah. Um. Which... I I always pronounce it wrong as well. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. But like you know, it's easy to look at those organizations like the OTO or whatever. Mm-hmm. And be like, well, you know, you have to pay your dues, and you have there's their, their, a structure, and like, but it feels like personal experience maybe like once you get out of like well here are all the books right mm-hmm. the grimoire varium is just out there you know the clavicle is just out there the another grimoire you could name the heptameron is just out there it's kind of just a, like there's none of that like structure mm. of like but here's what you're like, here's what the usual thing to do would be right and like, I feel like people are only finding that structure if they gravitate toward at least like a friend or something who sort of mm. knows what they're doing. So, do you feel like there's still like an issue of gatekeeping, or is this where community has to come in? And like, it's like a responsibility not just to like do your own research, but like once you get to a certain point, find the others, bring them along.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's weird. I, I don't. There's like gatekeeping, and there's initiatory traditions, right? Because mm. I, I think that. I don't have a problem with systems of magic that require you to like do something in order to be a part of it. Like, you know, fast for a couple of days or or go through like certain trainings or, you know, you know, I I think in like a lot of forms of Wicca and like ADR traditions and like the OTO and these different various things, even with like Druids and that kind of stuff. Like there's all these initiatory traditions that I think are actually like good because they can be a way to sort of put the brain into that mindset to really like, you know, force you to learn certain things to guide you and help you along a path. I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for initiation and initiatory traditions. So I don't think that that is bad, especially if you are choosing to do it. Like you know, obviously, like be- being made to feel like you have to do it is one thing. But I don't think like if you're if you're gravitating, you're doing that like of your own free will. I think that that can be a great and like very fulfilling thing. I think that, to me, what gatekeeping usually means is the like, oh, like you're wearing a Nirvana shirt. Name three Nirvana songs. You know, like be- assuming that because. Usually women, but like, because it could be anybody, like assuming that people who like a popular thing are only doing it because it's a popular thing and now magic's a more popular thing. It's like this assumed thing, like, oh, you're into magic, like name, name all of the writings of this person. You know, it's like very silly. So that definitely does exist. But I don't think that part of the reason I wrote this book is almost to combat that because there's there's acting like that when the information is very easily accessible to people and like put into a context that people can understand. Like if this was taught in schools or if this was taught in a formal way that was very accessible to people, then maybe you can be like a little bit judgmental if people don't know what they're they're talking about. But it's not. This is not part of the culture. This is not part of like daily life. Most people don't know what the hell any of this stuff is. Like I've done a lot of interviews for like radio and TV and stuff like that about this. And like the broader public really does not even know like what half of the words we've said in this conversation so far mean. Right. And so to assume that a person coming into this space is going to know who John Dee is, or like Alistair Crowley, or Dion Fortune, or any of these people is, you know, just kind of laughable. And a lot of occult books just throw these words and terms at people. And so what I wanted to do with the book is to provide an antidote with that to like, give people context to each thing, almost make it like a workable encyclopedia Mm. so that as people are studying and because it's how to study magic, not how to practice magic. Right. Mm. So it's as you're studying, crucial distinction, right? Crucial distinction. As you're studying and as you're reading and watching videos and stuff like that, you can use it as a reference point to say like, what, what is that? Where does this come from? Where does this fit on like the timeline? Why is
0: this person like this? Yeah. (laughs) That, okay. So that's two things. Uh, occurred to me as as you were saying this one, of course, is that uh, another name I've been saying wrong this whole time. I've been like Di- Diane Fortuna. <laughs> Are you serious? Because I'm not very smart.
1: Diane Fortune is like one of the best magic names like of all time.
0: So part of, uh, when I think of, like, grimoire magic and gatekeeping and those two things going together, it's not just the structures, right? Mm-hmm. It's that I think there are a lot of people, uh, let's call them grimoire magicians, mm-hmm. who will say um, something on the lines of, like, oh, you're not doing ceremonial magic. You're not doing grimoire magic. You're not doing the real shit. You're doing, you're doing baby stuff. Mm-mm. Dumb stuff for dumb babies. Right. You know, oh, energy, pitch posh. Oh, well, but-
1: guess what? I am a dumb baby, and I'm proud of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, dumb babies are great. They, they vote in huge numbers. But, like... <laughs> I,
1: there are dozens of us <laughs>
2: dozens
0: <laughs> <laughs> like given like that there is that kind of impulse in the occult like how do you like how do you sort of just as a person but also someone who's trying to guide people like the phrase like psychopomp keeps coming to my eye. Like, <laughs> you're not, not you're guiding soul's just not there I mean you know we all do the work we need to do but like um how do you guide guide yourself and guard yourself against? internalizing stuff like that mm. that kind of axiology and also while we're on the topic when was the first time you did some magic you're like oh i've done the real shit the stuff before this wasn't real this is the real shit
1: oh that's a really good question i'm swearing a lot more in this interview than i normally do as i have that effect on people <laughs> this
0: is just the first one we, i've done in person since God uh fuck, since i talked to al cummins in like his apartment in, like, 2020? In Whoa. January?
1: That, I have to say, I am going to do a book launch for this book. We could, I don't know if we want to announce that or what, but I'm going to do a book launch for this book, and I'm so nervous about it, because the last time I did a book launch, COVID happened, like, two months
0: later. I remember that! <clears throat> I remember! I'm so
2: scared! It's <laughs>
0: personal story, uh, just because I feel about that book launch. I... Was, for whatever reason, couldn't make the book launch book launch. I was at the bar afterwards. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I missed your really cool ritual that you did. But, like, I I remember that book launch after party very clearly. Because at the time, I've been like, astrology, I don't know. Demons, sure. Magic, totally. Astrology, hmm. Which, you know, mm-hmm. I think I should work on. Because I feel like I'm absorbing uncritically parts of the culture. But I remember being at that after party and talking to some of our associates who are better at astrology. And one of them goes, you know, it's funny... Uh, Saturn's going to be in Aquarius pretty soon. It's going to be the exact same astrological conditions as during the AIDS epidemic. I think we're going to we're due for a really bad epidemic Aww. early next year around the time Saturn goes into Aquarius and being like, "Huh, that's silly." And then Saturn goes into Aquarius. Kapow. Mm. So astrology <laughs> is real. Yeah, it is. Um, in the worst way possible.
1: Okay, but so for but to, okay, so to to go back Oh, yeah, sorry. I, for, to combat the voice in the head, I think that, I don't know if that ever really goes away because I think that that, like, critical voice just kind of comes from culture and comes from, like, be like, the, the not good enough voice is, like, so much bigger than just magic, right? Like, that comes from a lot of different things. And so I think it's, to me, it's not about getting rid of that voice entirely. It's about being able to, like, dismiss it and say, like, okay, but that's silly, you know? And I think you can say it's, like, voices like that are kind of demons. And how do you get rid of demons? Like, you have talismans and amulets and stuff to, like, get rid of it. So your amulet is, like, you doing cool shit and feeling cool about it. And saying, like, no, 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 but I did th- I did this shit and it worked also. I think that I, I... It's hard to remember, like, specific moments of when I felt like I was doing the real shit. I think that the first time I did a real proper, like full like circle summoning kind of thing with friends like years ago was that was maybe the first time I ever felt like whoa there's this like happening I think there's something about group rituals as well where like you really feel like group rituals hit different I also mm-hmm. think maybe the first when I when I was younger like maybe high school or something I the the first few spells that I did that really worked and I think I still have that feeling sometimes when you do a big spell and like it works and you're like oh my god magic's real like that that's a reoccurring feeling to me and it's honestly one of my favorite parts of magic is like having being able to be constantly kind of surprised by its own efficacy yeah it's like a really wonderful thing of just be like oh my god this stuff really does work like oh wow you know um so that's i kind of feel like that's an ongoing feeling that i have that i'm mm-hmm.
0: grateful for that's great. Yeah, it stays fresh. Yeah, that's really lovely. So, actually, speaking of the grimoire tradition, there are. I can turn this into an open book test because uh, I'm having trouble remembering specifically. I believe six traditions that you highlight in the book in particular, and they are five actually. Um, oh, it's a pentagram. That's Look great. Look at that. Uh, chaos magic, witchcraft, grimoires, ceremonial magic, and paganism, and Why are these five, who'd you leave out that you feel kind of bad about, but you had to leave it out for whatever reason? So those five, because
1: those are the ones that are on, like, the bookshelf in the New Age section of every bookstore. Like, those those are the ones that you're going to encounter first. And so I think they're the ones that need the most, like, introduction to people because the more obscure stuff you're just not going to find first. And so it's not it's not going to be as widely needed or applicable to people who are like just getting started, right? Like this mm-hmm. is a this is a real like, true 101 book, so it's it's not to get too far afield into like you know. I, I I couldn't stop myself from talking about like the clan of two volcano, like name dropping some kind of way more esoteric things, yeah. but I you know, it's not a introduction book to some of the more esoteric parts of the esoteric, right? But the one I, I say in the beginning that one of the things that I did leave out from the book were African diasporic religions and mm. so and traditions that kind of come from there or are adjacent to their like hoodoo and root work and that kind of thing yeah. So I don't talk about or I don't talk about Orisha's in here I don't talk about Yoruba I don't talk about like Kimbanda I don't talk about Paulo or there's a there's a whole host of religions that I don't talk about in here even though I think that people, If they're drawn to that or, you know, have ancestry from that that they want to explore, absolutely should. But I do not have a degree in those subjects. Like, I haven't studied it in a formal, like, university setting, and I have not been initiated into any of those traditions. And so I'm not the person to talk about it. (laughs) So I, I I have a statement in the beginning about why I don't include those, because... I don't want it to feel like I, you know, I'm leaving them out because I just like forgot about them. Right. But I do have a section in the back where I give further reading recommendations for people who do want to study that further. So if this is if that's one of the reasons you picked up this book and you want to explore ADR traditions more, I do give a place of like where to go to figure to find out more about that.
0: That's amazing. That's great. Thank you. Um, something else that sort of um, caught my eye in looking at that list was Chaos Magic, and you know cards on the table i got my start with chaos magic and i've subsequently been told you shouldn't do that that's wrong to do and i as much as i don't like being told actually i kind of thrive on being told that i've done things wrong because i i I welcome judgment and i and i love to change and fully support call and culture as much as possible but the argument that was made That is kind of persuasive. It's like, chaos magic, don't start there, because that's like postmodern magic. That's you learning something and then fucking with it later. Hmm. And like, do you think it makes sense to start with chaos magic? Or is it more sort of like, you know, here's magic 102, Hmm. but we're going to give you like a preview of that coming up. Or like, because I mean, I don't know. I mean, with like Aiden Wachter, another name that I want to say Wachter, but it's Wachter. I'm a thousand (laughs) percent certain. Like... In Walker's Six Ways, revolutionary book. And I think a lot of people do start there. I
1: love that book, And yeah. they have a
0: great time. And that's Chaos Magic. So, like, I don't know. How do you feel? Should you... Is it okay to... Is it wise to start with Chaos Magic? Everything's okay, probably, mostly. Not, you know, uh, uh, offered, not available in all states. But, like, is it a good idea? So, I...
1: I'm a little bit... So the reason that I relate... The, the reason I laid out the book the way that I did is... I started with chaos magic and then I go sort of chronological. And the reason I take kind of chaos magic out of the chronology and I put it first as opposed to probably last is because I think that to a person who is brand new at this and who has no real understanding of what magic even is. I think the terminology and understanding of chaos magic because it is postmodern makes the most sense to a postmodern person. Uh So it is like the, the terminology and ways that they talk about stuff are an easy way to describe to someone like, okay, well stoplights don't actually have power to stop, but you do it because it's a symbol. And now you relate the symbol to this thing, right? It's, you know, and I think then you can go and take that in a perhaps different way. I, I think that i this is I guess an opinion I think a lot of people will disagree with but I don't really care is that I don't i i I'm really of the fuck around school of magic where I think that people can get really in their heads sometimes like beginners especially about like wanting to do things right and wanting to start right and not wanting to do anything wrong and it's like you are going to fuck up like you are going to make mistakes you are going to get things wrong you are going to like you know learn untrue things or do practices in the beginning that you don't do when you're when you are several years down the line and i think that people have this idea in their heads about like summoning a demon that ruins their life or like you know some horror movie idea about like what's going to happen if they do magic wrong and i not that that can't happen, but I I've seen it happen far fewer times than I think that it's kind of made out to be almost. And so, I I actually kind of think that people learn the best when they just sort of dive into it, yeah, and then see what works for them. So that's what I my answer is is like you're gonna find this stuff however it finds you. And so if chaos magic is what finds you, then, like, start with chaos magic. If Wicca is what found finds you, as it found me, like, start with that. If, like, you know, uh, Grimoire magic or Thaleme or any of these things are what finds you, paganism, like, start there. And so it's, the book is laid out to be sort of chronological, because if you want to read it front to back, you get, like, a history of magic that way. But you could also just read it chapter by chapter, sort of disjointed as well, and say, like, well, I'm most interested in witchcraft, so I'm going to start with the witchcraft chapter. Yeah. And so it's it's meant to be kind of choose your own adventure in that way, I guess.
0: Yeah. Like, it's a very digestible book, right? Like, there's a lot of, like, short bits that are easy to consume. It does not feel daunting. It's, it's very welcoming in that way. But in terms of fucking around and then finding out... Was it a a transition for you from like receiving, you know, Wicca from the books, from the Angel Fire websites and so on, to being like, I'm going to make up my own ritual or I'm going to like, I don't like the way this is worded and I have the authority to change it for myself? Or was it just from the start you were like... Nah, I don't like that. I'm doing this instead.
1: What's interesting is that I think actually like the early Wicca books and stuff like that, that I was reading and like web GeoCities websites and stuff were very like, I I don't know if it's that it was because it was geared towards like a teenage girl audience, but that it always seemed very like welcoming to personal interpretation and like kind of a DIY sort of spirit. Mm. Like this is maybe like, I don't like to, to gender things because that can get very silly. But I do think there is a difference over the years about books that I've read overall, this is a very broad start, like that are geared towards like young women and books that are written for like adult men. And it's not just age, it's also there's this weird some it they're, the gatekeeping seems to get a little bit heavier the more like masculine someone is trying to sound of like let me demonstrate how much knowledge I have and how much knowledge you need to get to this place Mm. and I just think that that's very like I I understand and I and I have a lot of deep respect for people who have dedicated their lives to like studying and doing magic and all of this stuff and I think that I'm very grateful to be like alive at a time when the occult is having this incredible revival, and I think that there's a real. I love the like higher highfalutin occultism books, and I and I love that we are like finally at the place where like those are getting published and distributed to a much wider audience. I, I always felt growing up like the DIY spirit was kind of there though, and I and I and. The fucking around, I think, was was very much a part of it when I was getting when I was younger, and I think what I wanted was less fucking around. Like I wanted an instruction book of like, here's how you do it. This is the way you do magic, right? And now looking back, I can see the benefit of like that kind of DIY spirit, I mm-hmm. suppose, or the the more like, you know, kind of go getter fuck around spirit I don't know what the right term for it is but
0: self-starter yeah that sounds like a job
1: (laughs) yeah but I I think like yeah that's that's what I will say is I, I I've always felt kind of encouraged to create in magic and I think that my my goal almost when I was younger was to try to figure out how do I create less and how do I like do something more serious right and now looking back I see the benefit of that
0: something else in this book that I, I think is a very useful tool to people and I don't think they talk about a lot in things that aren't magic books which is something I liked about your last book too it's a lot of stuff for magicians that are not necessarily talking about magic books but we can talk do I want to talk about that one too like, let's talk about this for a second the Cars method mm. what is the Cars method and how does it apply to things like goblins and such I'm so glad you asked <laughs>
1: CARS method is a way of assessing information, disinformation. It's basically assessing sources yeah. when you're studying things. It was created by Dr. R- Robert Harris.
0: So the CARS... That, that's not the guy who wrote Hannibal, is it? No. Okay, please continue.
1: I don't know what else he's written, but I don't think he wrote Hannibal. Okay. That'd be cool if he did. I wish he did. So the, the, the CARS method stands for credibility, accuracy, reasonableness, and support. Okay. And it's basically you kind of, when you're looking at a source, like like a credibility, how credible is the source who is telling me this information? Accuracy, like how accurate is their information? You know, you go you go through this this list and I think it's not possible to do this with every single source that you come across. It's not possible to do this with like every single TikTok. But it, something that really occurred to me like as I was st- studying for this book, going through various like websites and trying to look at stuff like, Trying to look at the resources that are out there that are geared towards young people or people who are just getting started, and just how, you know, not to sound too like old about this, but kids really aren't taught about media literacy and really aren't taught about like assessing sources. And so I figured it would probably be a good idea for me to like introduce the method by which you can do that as you study because. I just don't think that people are used to doing that. You know, like, like I did a TikTok. I did my own TikTok like a few months ago where I was talking about like red flags and magic and like things to look out for in books on magic. And all these comments were like, okay, well, how do I know if this person is telling the truth? Like, how do I know about this? Like, what do you think about this author? And I'm like, I'm going to give you a method right now so that you can do that for yourself. <laughs> Which, again, is like part of the thing of the book, is, you know, I can't tell you who to read and who not to read for every single person out there, but I can give you a tool to decide for yourself if you want to read them or not. Or also, you know, take some of what they're saying and leave out other things that they're saying. Again, you're never going to be harmed by having greater media literacy and greater, gr- greater discernment in assessing your sources, because... At the at the least, you're going to say, okay, well, this person is just, you know, kind of making stuff up online. I don't want to mess with that. Or maybe you av- avoid getting, like, really scammed by someone, you know, <laughs> get, like, really taken for a ride. And, yeah, so that's what I wanted to give people with that.
0: That's really lovely, because I think part of what that draws into focus is attention to a book like this, which is that, you know, it's very easy to say, the other books you've read, the books that claim to be authorities and don't really think about the question of what, what, like the veracity of what they're saying or trying to make a claim for it. You know, they're, they're setting themselves up to be a teacher. And the way to fight that can sometimes be like, I'll be a better teacher mm. than they are. But this is also giving the tools to like, you don't need me to be a teacher. This is an anti-teacher kind of deal. This is against authority. So how do you manage that tension as a writer, and just as like... Because I'm sure people are coming to you all the time and being like Sarah Lyons, famous famous witch. Uh, I need to... What what should I be doing right now? I, I broke an egg into a bowl of water and it looks like my grandma. Should I... <laughs> like, like, how do you balance the tension of like... Fighting bad authority without setting yourself up as an authority? And let's connect that to Marxism if we can later.
1: Hmm. I... I really, I think that part of the reason I have not gotten farther in like the magic world like, or influencer world is in some ways, like I really don't like the power that comes from being like a spiritual authority. Mm. Like, I, It's very scary to me the times that I have been reading tarot cards for someone or speaking at an event or just talking to someone about this. And like, sometimes people will come to you in a very desperate situation. And not knowing you really at all want you to solve their problems or think that you have something that can solve their problems. And in those moments, you see so clearly how, that there, how there are grifters and harmful people that take advantage of people like that. Because people just put themselves into your hands. And you could really sell them on a wide variety of bullshit in those very vulnerable moments. And I've never liked being put into a position where I have that power over someone, even if I don't utilize it. And Mm -hmm. even if I don't, even if I brush them aside or I say I can't help you or I give like a very basic thing that they can do or something like that. I've never liked being put into that position. And so I really have tried to not occupy that space myself like as a person online or an educator or anything like that. So I think what I've been trying to do more and more recently is just kind of coming at things as not an authority of like, you need to do what I say. But again, just like I do in the book, is like just presenting people with information and saying like, this is what this is. It is now up to you to decide if this is what you want to engage with or not. Because I think that that's another, I mean, this is just a problem that I have in in culture a lot is that I think because... Again, not to sound too old about it, but it's like because everyone has a platform, everyone is kind of seen as like a news outlet and a pundit and a a commentator and a critic and all of these things. And these things actually require like skill to do, like to be a critic, to be a pundit, to be like a... uh, Maybe not a pundit, but to be a critic, to be a journalist, to be a reporter, to be these things like actually requires like skill and often training to do. And... I I don't want because I also have a platform and I have a fairly big platform in some ways, like I don't want to to, you know, get out there and state emphatically, like, this is what you have to do. This is what you never should do. I, I don't like to talk in absolutes like that. And so I, I think what I've really just tried to do is just present people information and like empower them to like do what they want with that. Do what thou wilt if you wilt.
0: As it goes. Uh, that's actually because that kind of like ties into because there's like this idea of like, surely you know what you're doing, and surely you will tell me what mm-hmm. I should be doing, like, which is a big, like, that's a big uh, correlation there or to, to throw on somebody. Uh, transitive property, it's a big transitive property. Yeah. But it also kind of, I feel like being on the internet where everyone has a platform, right? There is also, I think, this pressure to have a certain kind of intense moral clarity mm, about yes. what you're doing. Like, this idea of, like, actually the fuck around and find out ethos that we have been talking about. Like, there is, I think, uh, I imagine a lot of very young people who've spent a lot of time on Twitter.com or the TikTok or whatever the new thing that Zoomers are doing that I don't even know about because I'm in my 30s. Oh, well, we're on Glorp now. They're on Glorp. Yeah. God. We have to get on Glorp next. No. <laughs> It's time to throw my phone it's into the ocean. Just
1: flashing lights and colors. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's just been broken down to just, it's, it's just lights and sounds. <laughs> it's just
0: haptics in the form of that like 30-minute <laughs> sequence at the end of 2001 A Space yes. Odyssey. <laughs> um, <I, laughs> the Gen Z has turned me into an, a fetus floating in space. <laughs> but, like, okay, pressure for moral clarity, let's say. How do you balance that out in something like this? We're, like, we're talking about, like, say, like Alistair, Alistair Crowley, who, like, you know, maybe, you know, arguably has made very important canonical contributions to magic, also raging anti-Semite, and uh, nasty man. Lots of bad things I could say about him, but I don't want to because we're not talking about him. He's just an example. But, like, how do you, like, sort of deal with that sort of, like, balancing that out of, like, please let me be welcoming and hospitable, but also, like, resisting perhaps the desire to, like, and let's come down on the side of everything every time.
1: Right. So I think this is difficult to talk about because I don't want to sound like I am like dismissing people's issues with, with these things. So what I try to do throughout the book is like, there's a couple of sensitive topics that I touch on. I touch upon like Kabbalah and like appropriation. I touch upon, you know, racism and paganism and this kind of stuff. And I I think the, like what I try to do in both is like, well, with the Kabbalah one, I try to say, like, here's the history of Kabbalah. And here's how it came into, like, European non-Jewish hands. Like, came in through, like, basically genocide. <laughs> like, basically, basically, like, the Jews being expol- expunged from Spain and, like, expelled from Spain. And, like, people then taking Kabbalah and saying, isn't this neat? And, you know, making stuff up with it, right? While they are also, like actually killing Jews, right? So there's it's a fucked up history. Now that you know that, you know, Hermetic Kabbalah has been around for about 500 years, right? So to disentangle that history is kind of difficult at this point. Like, it's kind of difficult to take 500 years out of the historical record and say, we just cannot touch this at all because of how it came about to begin with. Because, especially when we're talking about history, that is, like, everything. (laughs) Like Like, a lot of things. But... Now knowing that history, you can now, as a modern person, choose whether you want to engage with that or not, right? Mm. So we can't take it out of the historical record of, like, magic, but you, in the 21st century or 22nd century, whenever people are listening to this, you can choose whether you want to work with Kabbalah now that you know the history of it, right?
0: Right, and, like, how you would like
1: and it. how you And how, if you do, like, okay, how do I be more respectful about that? Like, what... What are ways that I can practice this in ways that, you know, actually benefit, like, Jewish authors rather than, like, take away from them, right? I think the only issue I think I really come down very hard on and I I, draw a very firm line is, like, racism when I talk about, you know, basically white supremacists in pagan spaces and, you know, occult spaces because... Part of the project of white supremacy is to muddle the historical waters and to say, well, this is how our ancestors practiced things, or this is like our ancestors' thing. And also, our ancestors were all completely blameless, lily white, you know, gorgeous northern Europeans that never did anything wrong. And like, you know, I, I it's just fake, like, it's just a fake history. And I and so as someone who's very dedicated in this book to just laying out pure history, part, part of me just bristles at, beyond all the obvious reasons to hate white supremacy, part of me just hates it because it is there to construct a false history that is then used to oppress people, right? Yeah. And that's something that you really do have to be very aware of when you see that going on. And it's diff- and it's sometimes difficult to to notice that, especially when you're just getting used to this stuff.
0: Actually, that's interesting. Like, so what? Like, what are some good red flags for the kids out there? Because I mean, I think it seems like, in my mind... I got overly sensitive to the possibility of it. So, like, whenever anyone said they were doing anything involving, like, Northern European, like, Heathenism stuff, I was just, like, immediately, like, that's a Nazi, 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 that's a Nazi talking about, it, and that might be a Nazi. <laughs> and, like, that's not super helpful. But I, you know, don't like Nazis, so I'm kind of sensitive to the idea. Like, what are some good... Is the, I mean, presumably that's not a good way to go about it. But, like...
1: Muttering, this is a Nazi under your breath is... I, I would say... Not always a bad idea, but it could get you in trouble when they are not in fact. One. <laughs> um, I think, so some of the things I lay out in the book are the more broad someone is speaking, usually the less accurate it is. Mm. Our ancestors always did this this way. No, <laughs> this is not true. What ancestors? Who are you talking about? Name, name the time period, name the place, Show me show me the documents, you know? I think that there's actually, like, a lot for, especially, like, white people and people of European descent to gain from reclaiming, like, historical, you know, practices and reconnecting with ancestors. And I think that there's actually, like, it can be very involved in a process of decolonialization if you acknowledge that part of the process of colonialization was, like, destruction of indigenous lifeways and, like, pathways in Europe. In order to destroy the idea of magic, in order to then like mechanize and like get people kind of used to the idea of like we are better than these other people because these other people are a different species from us and you know the
0: and they're superstitious
1: and they're superstitious and you're it's look at these you know spooky scary people over here right I you know I think that. There's a lot to be. I think there's a lot of good that can be pulled out of, like, you know, trying to recreate that. But it's a recreation. It's not a continuous practice. And therefore, it can't be appropriated by, let's say, like, a non European person, right? Because, like, these cultures die. So
0: that kind of, like, people are, like, upset, like, you can't, you're not allowed to do my thing.
1: Yeah. Like, I think the big, I think a big red flag is, like, when it becomes purely an ancestral practice, therefore only for, like, one of the things I point out in the book is, like, I, I know for a fact that I would never be turned away from like an Odinist gathering, like a very racist, like um, you know, Northern European Reconstructionist, like whatever kind of like Odinist gathering. And this is despite the fact that my ancestors were like harmed by skin right? Like my my ancestors are all my ancestors are all from like the British Isles. They were raped and pillaged and murdered and stuff by Vikings. I'm not there because that's an ancestral practice to me. Actually, those people were very antagonistic to me, and were very lovely to Muslims. Right? I'm there if I'm if I'm there and I'm welcomed in. It's just because of the color of my skin, and this is, this is just literally racism. It's nothing else. And so I
0: and like they conceivably would not welcome in like Muslim practitioners. Exactly. Historically, their ancestors would have been like, oh hell yeah, it's these guys, guys right.
1: Exactly. So I think that that's another thing to me is when you start to see people. The thing that white supremacists who use this will often say is like, "Oh, we believe that everyone should have like their ancestral practices, and it would be so horrible for us to like invite ourselves into like a Native American space or like, you know, an African space that we weren't invited into. So that's why it's so horrible that they're doing it to us. And it's like, nope, these are not equivalent, okay. right? So I think mm-hmm. that that's a big red flag to like watch out for as well.
0: It's also like a, an important trick to like talk about. Like, it's not just that they're like um, using." Spirituality or the occult, they're also appropriating kind of like anti racist discourse a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. The way, the way, like, they're being racist by being like, you know, we're doing, we're doing, um, it's identity politics for white people. Right. We're doing, we're doing, we're like, we're doing segregationism, but we're talking about it as though it's not racist.
1: Yeah. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's the playing the victim, right? Of like, oh, we just want our own little thing. Like, why won't you let us have this? Like, and it's like, no, because. (laughs) It's not even your thing, you know, it's this, you're literally just making something up to, to keep people that you don't like out of it, you
0: know? Yeah, you're projecting your racism back into the past.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. So I think that's, so to go way back in the conversation, I think that that is one place where I really draw like a very firm line. I think when it comes, because to me, it's also not complicated. Like, I don't think that. Because, to me, it's very cut and dry. It's it's not a... We're not talking about Hermetic Kabbalah that has, like, a 500-year history. We're not talking about, you know, Aleister Crowley who did both good and bad things in his life. Or, like, you know, made a religion that many, you know, fine people follow or whatever. Like, we're not talking about ideas that do have complexity to them. It's, like, to me, recreate quote-unquote recreating or creating a religion basically with the explicit idea of keeping out a whole segment of the population is like just kind of laughably racist like on its face and so there's not much ambiguity to to be there okay
0: so like once you pick up on that dynamic you're like aha yeah i'm gonna find the door now
1: whereas and i think with something like alistair crowley like he is a guy who was very like bad like was a bad person in a lot of parts of his life and was a good person in parts of his life and was, and has like ideas that I find very inspirational and very uplifting. And I think have like helped me personally in my life. And also I don't think I would like him if I hung out with him. Right. And I, and I think that part of knowing who he was and again, it's like, knowing who he was knowing what his ideas mean knowing why he's important in the history of magic you can then decide for yourself like do i want to incorporate anything at all to do with this man into my own practice and if so how do i do it in a way that feels like not fucked up and if i don't that's also fine
0: <laughs> you know right? you could apply the same stuff to him that you would apply to like a tiktoker yeah know, whichever you're like well, Alistair Crowley is very interesting. He's saying some stuff about Nepal. I don't know,
1: like I, think, I don't know if he's yeah. a good
0: source for that.
1: It's sort of like it's it's like like with a lot of historical figures, we can't take them out of the historical record, right? Like we can't. Okay, let's let's use someone who I actually think is a worse person than Weird. Alistair Crowley. Let's like let's like use like Michael Jackson for an example there, right? Ooh. You need to know like that if you're studying music history. You can't like look at 80s music without like looking at that man and that artist, right? You also can't like look at that man and that artist without talking about like the, the crimes that he committed, right? And like the things that were alleged against him by like multiple people, right? Like credible things, right? Then knowing that you can te- you can talk about like what is the like the, like we can't we can't erase him from the musical historical record. But we can know what he did and then decide to, like, not play his music, right? Like, like I had to take Thriller off of my Halloween playlist. And that made me sad because I love that song. But I also don't want to listen to his music, right? And I, I think that that's kind of what I'm getting at a little bit. That's maybe a dramatic example. But I think that that is... Again, you're never... You're only going to be made a better person and you're only, your practice is only going to become stronger and you're only going to be given more agency by understanding who these people were and knowing what they did or didn't do and then deciding for yourself, like, no, I don't want to engage with this anymore. Right? Yeah,
0: you have a responsibility to act on your knowledge, not to pre- prevent yourself from having knowledge.
1: Exactly. And that's kind of what I think, I, I hope I did with this book, is provide people a gateway to like learn about that.
0: Hey everybody, if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, it means that you're listening to an abridged version of this episode. If you want to hear the full thing, and also hear the full versions of a bunch of other episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash witchhassle where the full versions of a bunch of episodes are available to supporters at the $5 tier. It's not a ton of money, but it's a big help. With this episode, you'd be hearing Sarah answering a listener question, and us talking about making witchcraft scary again—the sort of political possibilities of witchcraft and curse magic. So that's—it's a fun—it's a fun time. Give it a listen, and if you can't really afford that sort of thing, you know, just email me. I'll probably just send it to you. I, 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 I feel like I don't want this to be a real barrier to anybody. Or you could try the fun little thing of like, you know, you, you subscribe to the Patreon and you try to unsubscribe before they actually do the billing. I don't know how that really works. So like, that's very much a, you know, at your own risk attempt, but you know, you could just email me. It doesn't really matter, but either way, thank you so much for listening. And here's the end of the interview. All of this has been advice. Yeah. For the kids at home. Yeah. So I feel like we've kind of, like, it, it's weird to ask you what's a piece of advice you want to give to the kids at home because you've already kind of done it. But yeah. is there anything that we didn't really get to that you feel like is really important to get out there? Or or like just a thought in general, like some kind of big summation, you know, like a little egg mm. to hold, to hand people in this trying time.
1: I think that it does the a person a whole lot of good, like we were talking about in the beginning, just bring it full circle.
0: Ooh, like an egg.
1: Like an egg. If we we're to bring it full oval, I. I think that just like it's good to keep in mind, like why you are getting into magic or what, what is you know what what your practice is geared towards. I think like inspiration is a real thing that kind of gets overlooked, and that I think needs to. Like with any other artistic form or creative form, like needs to get replenished every now and then. So like I part of the reason I got into witchcraft was like Halloween. And we're recording this around Halloween time right now. Yeah. And there's this thing where I love to just like, I, I, you know, the season of the witch thing, I think is really real this time of year. Just walking around and you feel the way that like the energy just has kind of shifted the cold autumn breeze kicking up the leaves, the spindly, gnarled branches of the trees circling the moon the crescent moon in the sky what could fly across that in any moment you know it's like that is magic to me that's what magic feels like is that kind of stuff of you know walking down a forest path in autumn as, like, you know, a thin layer of, like, mist covers the ground. Like, that's fucking magic to me. And I think it's, you know, after reading all this history and doing all this stuff, I think that it's good, like I said, it's good to know this stuff because it keeps you from, like, hurting or offending people. It allows you to make your own choices, all the stuff we've gone over. But then after you've, like, read that history and know all your stuff – Then come back and, like, remind yourself what's mystical about it. Like, make it re-mystical again. Be like, okay, we're talking about magic here. That's an exciting word. What Mm. makes you excited about magic, you know? Yeah. And that's what I would leave
0: people with. I'm so glad you bring that up, because I feel like that is something that is lost so often Mm -hmm. in these conversations. Like, magic isn't just the concrete, you know, like, it isn't just the incense burner. It's literally...
1: Least concrete thing it's that five. we have created as humans. It is like so insanely not concrete. People
0: like, are so like, like, oh, I've, I've 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 done the grimoire verum Why isn't there a hooved man standing in my my apartment? Because like, you
1: have to be the hooved man, and you
0: you, you <laughs> have to pick up the vibes. You, yeah, the man comes in the form of vibes sometimes. Yeah. But also, yeah, be the hooved, be the behooved man. Be the see-
1: man that you wish to meet at a crossroads
0: every day is a crossroads uh and i get a little bit closer how does the show crow song go um every day is a winding it road it's
1: winding road i get a little bit closer
0: to feeling fine,
1: fine. and, that's and what on I'm that thinking.
0: note on that note sarah Lyons, thank you so much
1: paper thank you
0: thank you so much to sarah for being on the program for her wonderful book and for being a friend If I had the budget for it, I'd be playing Thank You for Being a Friend from the Golden Girls, but I don't, so here's a song for the 19-teens about uh, going to hell. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Witch Hassle. Our theme music was performed by Sebastian Beifestam and recorded by Edvard Lee. Thank you so much to everybody who supports the show on the Patreon and to everybody who just listens to this thing. Good luck with the work ahead.
2: Devil's ball. At the devil's, devil's ball. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. the I saw the cute Mrs. Devil's ball. ready and fast. Directing a beautiful fire and had. Abraham, the leader man who led the band last fall. He, he played the music at the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. In the devil's ball. In the devil's ball. I saw the funniest devil that I ever saw. Taking the ticket from the at the door. door. I of my you little dancing with the devil, oh, you the, devil. devil. At the, at the devil's, devil's time was standing at the box conversing with the little fellow who first put the pain in champagne wine they were pouring it out in a sign i bought a round of ice for everybody's wife, it wasn't long Before I ordered a fan And before the break of dawn I put my overcoat in pawn At the Devil's Ball At the Devil's Ball At the Devil's Ball At the Devil's Ball I saw the father, cute Mrs. Devil's Ball Pretty and fat, fat. in a beautiful Diamond and fat Abraham the leader Man who led the band last fall What did he at the music, at the devil's ball, in, in the devil's hall. I saw the funniest devil that I ever saw, taking the ticket from the boat at the door. door. I caught a glimpse of mine, door. dancing. The devil, oh, you're oh, little devil dancing, dancing at, the the devil's devil's ball. Ball. at the devil's ball. At the devil's ball, at the devil's ball, at the devil's ball. I saw the cute Mrs. Devil's soul, ready and fast, caressed in a beautiful fire attack. Abraham, the leader man who led the band last fall. He played the fiddle at the devil's ball, at the, the, devil's devil's ball. the devil's ball, in the devil's ball. I saw the funniest devil that I ever saw. Taking the ticket from the Bus at the door, door. I caught a glimpse of mine Mother in law Dancing with the devil Oh, that the savage devil? devil Dancing at the oh, devil's devil. the devil's door oh. oh.